Well, hello and welcome to our first live show of 2024. This is episode 485 of the Plain Talking UK podcast. Happy New Year, everyone. And we are very excited for this week's show to be our first on our new slot of a Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Uh, so thanks to everyone for joining us tonight. Uh, we're glad to have you along. We've got a packed show tonight. As no doubt many of you will see, it's been a busy time for aviation news. We'll be covering all the big stories that have happened over the last seven days. Uh, plus, there are some lighter side of things on the show with our caption this entries, as always. And we may may well even have some very scathing feedback for our very own Mr. Neville Bands. Uh, now, Nev can't join us on the show tonight. He is busy this evening, but uh, he might be with us later on in the show. You never know if he gets home in time. But across the village here in Suffolk, in East Anglia, in the UK, of course, it is the man who drives the PTUK Master Suite Studios. It's Matt Smith. Oi, oi. <laughs> Hello, Matt. Hello. I saw you at lunchtime. I don't know why I you're I saw you at lunchtime. Because <laughs> that's literally... Not only do we live just around the corner from each other, it now turns out that we work just around the corner from each other as well. Yes, uh, I know. So, yeah. The poor guy can't escape from me. <laughs> no, no it's, it's lovely. It's nice, nice to, it, it was nice to see you this afternoon, Matt. Well, you know, I, you know you're only human at the end of the day. Uh, <laughs> No, it's good to, good to see you in there. He, come, he comes and makes full use of my kitchen facilities. Oh, well, very much. Well, they're better word. than the ones I have access to, you see, that's why. Uh. <laughs> and also joining us tonight, uh, he's uh, one of the P2Ks. Kind of, he does a lot of work in the background. He looks after our show notes for us alongside our very own John as well. And it's, of course, Nick Codling. Evening. Hi, Carlos. Happy New Year to you. Uh, great to be back and uh, quite exciting to be starting on a Wednesday for a change. It's, yes. uh, it feels a bit odd, really. I'm sort of just gearing myself up for the weekend normally, so it's uh, going to be a bit strange having to go to work tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, that's oh, no, true, that's, yeah. The, that's the bad thing. That's yeah, the yeah. worst part of it, yeah. I, sh I should just stress, for those of you who are listening to the audio version, basically, although we're recording... So I, we used to record on a Friday and it was released on a Sunday. Basically, mm. going forward, it's going to be recorded on a Wednesday, released on a Friday night. So, uh, yeah, so it'll still be released at 7pm on a Friday, uh, the uh, the audio-only version, if you listen to it via your favourite podcatching app. Yes, yes, yes. But uh, Armando, as you may notice, he isn't with us tonight either. He's uh, probably, I think, Matt. He's he's still in the air, uh, flying commercially. He's sitting actually in a in a passenger seat as opposed to a the left seat of uh, of a you know an aircraft. But um, he might pop in later on. You never know. You know what Armando's like. He he tends to sort of drop in, doesn't he? Sometimes if he's not held up too much with storms and all the rest of it. But um, hopefully he'll be bent, uh, he'll be back with us later on this evening. But at very last note, a minute notice, and I mean literally uh, incredibly last minute notice. And let's not I, discuss what time it is where he is either, because and <laughs> if 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 we had to discuss which time it was, I think he'd probably pass out again. Uh, but at last notice, we it, we managed to get a super sub on the show, and it gives me great pleasure to welcome back onto the show our resident cargo captain who flies well probably the best aircraft in the world let's be honest here it's of course john jester from Hiroshima, japan so it's uh slightly early in the morning here but uh yeah somebody decided to wake me up and uh 
asked me to be on the show. So yeah, well, Carlos, glad to be here. Yeah, I I feel I feel so bad now, John. I think you honestly, should. John, you if should you feel bad yeah. when when you are when you are back in the UK, John, you need to, to to get over here to our neck of the woods, and I promise I will I will take you out and spoil you rotten <laughs> with food and beverages. Well, it, you actually lucked out as I had to had the uh, wake up and uh, my body's still on European time, having just flown in yesterday into Japan, so. Uh, I'd woken up. Uh, one thing here in Japan is the beds are um, disguised boards. Ah, um, right. But yes. she's on boards, so <laughs> yeah. I woke good, up with the uh, good for the back with a slightly say. amputated arm, and uh, <laughs> decided that I just would see what's going on and uh, get some blood back in the arm. And I saw this message from Carlos, so here I am. He's a legend, that, that man. Honestly, such a legend. Thanks for joining us, John. So you're, you say you've flown into Japan. I'm guessing you you obviously flew in with, with cargo and you're taking cargo back out. No, actually, uh, we flew a dead empty 747, the miracle of U.S. military contracts, uh, from Liège, Belgium, to Irokumi, Japan, just south of uh, Hiroshima and uh, dropped it off for it to pick up uh, cargo that's going some other place in the world. Was that the uh, the, the Dash 400 or the Dash 8? Yeah, it was a uh, 400. It was actually a BCF, so a Boeing Converted Freighter, which is uh, the, the big hump back ones. Uh, not my favorite plane to fly, but uh, I like the freighters a little bit better, but uh, it's, a, it's, you know, it's a 400, so it's good. And we were able to get up and go, and we were, because of uh, cold weather, we were hauling butt across the European and uh, Asian continents, uh, anywhere between uh, 8.6 and 8.9 Mach, so. Oh, wow. So see, see, see some Airbuses keep up with us. <laughs> <laughs> Challenge accepted. I yeah. suppose at least in the, in the country you currently are, I suppose, when you, when you leave there, when you, you know, do fly, leave there, you'll, you'll have loads of uh, Japanese snacks on board. Yes. Catering out of Japan is usually a good thing. Uh, I won't be going out to Nagoya, which is our, generally our favorite uh, Japanese uh, airport to operate out of, because when we operate out of there, we get to, put a meal request in if we want sushi. Oh, wow. they will wow. put sushi on the plane. <gasps> oh. uh, but uh, they generally always have some of these just like little Japanese snacks. Uh, and I and I like coming here now because I've discovered this. I'll, I'll show I showed them earlier. But uh, this little goodie is just evil. Goodness. It's all right, it's all right though. They're only press. 33 calories a stick. It's fine. <laughs> I just it's looking at that, problem. actually. <laughs> It's not a problem. It, uh, it's fine. <laughs> I try to. I try to not tear through them all in one go, but uh, yeah. it's not just a challenge. But you, uh, you realize that's... now that I've been really, really good most of this Christmas, and downstairs I still have a whole tub of celebrations, which I now feel like I need to go downstairs and open immediately. And <laughs> that, and that is the problem at Christmas time. You have yeah. those chocolates. You think I'm going to have one or two. No, you don't. But then one no, becomes ten. Ten becomes. 20 and uh, we, we have a bit uh, an unusual ritual in our house over christmas as well in the fact that we always have in in the bottom of our stocking we don't have a an orange which is what you're supposed to have of course or a tangerine uh we we have the chocolate variety obviously i was going to say a chocolate orange, orange is perfectly yeah, a terry's chocolate yeah terry's chocolate orange you see and, <laughs> and my intention always is to smash it open and eat one piece no it doesn't work like that no it doesn't no it yeah. does not no it's but, a party you're five doing, a day 
Yeah. I live in the Netherlands. My uh, my family's thing is a little different. Uh, my general treat for the Christmas holidays is my wife will pick up some aged uh, how to cheese. So maybe oh. like a twelve year old how to. Yeah. Like and, say, uh, the only competition is that my 12-year-old son loves it too. So Oh, no. So you got to get there first, basically. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, at least I get some. I, I don't mind sharing with him sometimes, but yeah. I think sometimes he gets more of it than I do because yeah. I'm on the road so you're much. you're on the road so much. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, although, I mean, uh, Carlos, you, you you know how much I love cheese. In fact, uh, when, when I'm house-sitting the lovely poppy cat, uh, Gemma leaves me quite an impressive haul of uh, specialist yeah. cheeses for me to enjoy as my, as my thank you gift, which is uh, just... <laughs> glorious um, we're, we're we're lucky here where me and matt live john we not only uh you know do we live sort of in the in the sort of countryside ish and such but we've got a farm that's just literally about a mile down the road from us that's apart from selling worldwide award-winning cheese uh they also that's sell raw milk yeah 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 oh uh, i was i thought uh, you were thinking about maysbrook so you go you go like a mile and a half one way to get the best meat in the entire yeah. world and then you go like a mile and a half the other way oh we're to very get lucky raw we're cheeses lucky. and 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 like yeah. literally fresh from the cow milk honestly it is my favorite thing uh <laughs> Anyway, sorry, we're so it's we're not we <laughs> we're going on to we food. <laughs> we haven't been talking about Stop. planes very long. Stop. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm going to say a very special welcome to everyone who's joined us in the live YouTube chat room this evening. Let's go have a look and see who's joined us on this Wednesday evening. I might add as well. It's uh, Mazus was first in the room tonight. Hello, Mazus, our local listener. Uh, we have got Richard Adams. Hello to you, Richard, as well. Good to see you in there, Captain Cruz. He's in the chat room as well. Uh, we have got uh, Lee Davies. Hello to you, Lee. Uh, I think he's a bit shocked. It's a, it's a Wednesday night. He can't, you know, can't drink. Yeah. Uh, Hobby Time is also in there. Good to see you. Chris Marsh. Marsh is also there. Hello, Chris. Uh, Bill is in there. Hello to Bill. Good to see you. Dirk S is in there. Tanya. <gasps> Hello, Tanya. Tanya. The lovely Tanya. Oh. Good to see you in there, Tanya. Good to see you in there. Uh, Masha, the lovely Masha, is in there as well. Hello to you, Masha. I hope you're not uh, too cool like it is here. It's freezing outside here. Uh, let's scroll down, make sure I don't miss anyone. Evan. Mike, Hello, Evan. Yeah, I was going to say, Evan, we've got Mike Williams as well. Hello. Yeah, Evan Shue, he's in there as well. Uh, it must be early, late, early, late where Evan is. I can't never remember. Uh, yeah, Mike Williams. Hello to Mike. Good to see you on there as well. Arnie. Hello, Arnie. Good to see you as well, Arnie. Uh, Na uh, Nana is also in there. Good evening hey. to you. I know who that is. She works with me at, uh, at Novum. Uh, good oh, to see you oh, in well, there. Uh, oh, name drop. Oh, here we go. I know, I know. Bless. <laughs> I probably pronounced. I probably pronounced the name yes, completely wrong. Yeah, you, and she'll you, you she'll have a go at me tomorrow. Quite right. But... Absolutely. You have my permission to bash him I over know. the head. Yeah. I know. <laughs> Thanks for that. Honestly, <laughs> always, a, always a pleasure. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, good to see you all in there. Don't forget if Bill you as well. Bill. Yes, well, I did. I did mention Bill. Oh, did I did you? Oh, sorry. Bill. All right. yeah, I'll, and, I'll, Bill and Mike as I'll well. I'll stop. Dirk, did you mention Dirk? Yeah. I mentioned Dirk. Yes. Right, Hello, I'll, Dirk. I'll stop interfering. Sorry. Anyway, <laughs> if you are listening to our voices on the podcast, as in the audio podcast, and you want to see just how stunning we all look in glorious age, don't do it. Don't do it. Just listen to the audio version. Don't. 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 Just, don't, 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 just don't do it. <laughs> check us out on YouTube. We're on YouTube. Plain Talking UK. Don't forget to subscribe and also hit that bell icon to be notified when we live and broadcasting a show as we are right now we'd love to have you in the chat room uh, especially with tonight because we've got some very big stories indeed to talk about with on the show tonight so with that in mind 
Uh, it's commercial news time. So, Matt, John, and Nick, if you're all ready. We are. Let's do it. Let's go. Ready. No, you're not going to speak. I well, I can't hear. The, you've turned the the, the talk, the feedback, yeah, the music back through the no. headphones down so far. I can't hear anything. Oh, you should have been able to. No, no, totally dead. But anyway, not to worry. Kicking off this week's first news story on the commercial news segment this week is it made massive news when this happened. Uh, there were, I think, there was at least probably ten or fifteen different videos of this incident on the various uh, social media platforms, Twitter and YouTube as well, and Facebook. Uh, this is obviously uh, from the BBC.co.uk. This is the Japan Airlines uh, crew, the uh, crew of the Japan Airlines aircraft that had that incident. Uh, last week. It was uh, Japan Airlines Flight 516 uh, that collided with a Coast Guard aircraft as it landed. Five of the six people on board the uh, smaller Coast Guard aircraft sadly passed away, but the uh, captain, I think, escaped that flight. Uh, the flawless evacuation of that uh, Japan Airlines flight astounded the world and won praise from many uh, aviation experts and flight crews, saying it uh, boiled down really to the flight crew putting their rigorous training in place and well-behaved passengers that was another point of this, who obeyed safety protocols. Uh, they said that they didn't see a single passenger on the ground in any of the videos, and they seen uh, none of them had luggage at all, so none of them were taking their hand luggage off, which we've seen many times on these videos and stuff. Uh, the, uh, the evacuation, uh, they said, was very dangerous uh, because it would be slowing down in an evacuation if people had tried to take off their luggage. Now, uh, Professor Ed Gallier, Director of the Fire Safety Engineering Group at uh, University of Greenwich, uh, said that. And he said also the state of the aircraft, the A350, made the evacuation difficult, Professor Gallier said. The accident was far from ideal. The aircraft was nose down. Obviously, the nose gear had collapsed when it uh, struck the aircraft on the runway, uh, which meant it was difficult for passengers to move. Uh, only three of the inflatable flights could be used to evacuate passengers, uh, but they were not properly deployed because of how the jet landed. Also, with that nose uh, being collapsed as well, it made the slides further back on the aircraft uh, very steep as well, which could have been dangerous. Uh, the aircraft's announcement system also malfunctioned during the evacuation, so the flight crew had to convey their instructions using a megaphone uh, system, handheld system, uh, by shouting, Japan Airlines later said. Uh, one passenger sustained bruises, 13 others had requested medical supervision. Consultation is due to physical discomfort, uh, the airline has said. Uh, the airline, or the aircraft itself, departed from Sapporo's new Chitose Airport at uh, 4 o'clock local time and landed at Haneda shortly before 6pm. Uh, the small Coast Guard aircraft was due to deliver aid to victims of the earthquake which happened on New Year's Day and the accident investigation um, to this collision is underway. Um, obviously we've seen the, the pictures, obviously Matt had the pictures on here as well of the incident itself. I mean 
they I've read reports and I think I don't know if you've seen these as well uh, John obviously you being our pilot on the show this evening that um, a lot of people said that the way that the A the A350 is manufactured the materials it used probably helped to um, keep this fire you know suppressed for long enough for these passengers to be able to to deplane yeah this is a first uh, hull loss of a carbon fiber fuselaged aircraft so i think it's gonna be interesting to see what happens uh, in the resulting investigation on the survival factors and how it survived it, it does seem that the airframe really held together for an extremely long time and uh and allowed them to get out the um the whole structure really survived a, a really major impact i thought fairly well the initial pictures you see there's damage to the nose obviously the nose gear was taken out but the rest of the fuselage was mostly intact uh all the way back uh damage to the engines and stuff you kind of expect from it dropping down plus you know probably taking parts of the uh coast guard aircraft through it and everything was intact and held together. I think the survival factors in this is going to be a really amazing part of this impact of this uh, investigation. We'll be seeing what happened there and how it held together, what their comments are from the Japanese investigative authority on this and, uh, you know, but something we can learn from and hopefully uh, implement in the new following up aircraft. Because I think carbon fiber aircraft is going to be the way, the way of the world going forward. And uh, now we have this, great learning opportunity everybody came out for the most part on the on this uh in the good the poor uh crew on that coast guard aircraft i mean i you know that would have been pretty hard to survive in any kind of aircraft. so the fact that one person came out of that aircraft is quite surprising actually obviously the details obviously we saw in the news and stuff of how the uh the flight crew and stuff operated after the incident i think there was um some uh, some ATC recordings as well, which were released. The transcript was released of that. But with the procedure for for what these guys went through when they initially landed, obviously they're a passenger aircraft. They've got passengers on board the aircraft. But is it is it exactly the same procedures you would follow, being a cargo, you know, pilot like yourself? Obviously, with the seven four seven that you fly is slightly bigger than the um, the three fifty. But the procedures you'd follow are the same as if you were traveling either bringing or carrying cast. Uh, passengers or cargo so from the flight crew perspective uh the big change is uh generally we need to try to make an announcement to the back and in this case it looks like probably from the damage of the impact uh probably cut through the uh lines that are used to communicate back and forth but uh we try to communicate initially to the uh flight attendants as soon as we could if we had a passenger flight or we'd be most likely just yelling to the back on a 747 cargo plane because we don't have a door and uh, saying, okay, stay on board, stay on board, or we're evacuating. But the, the basic process, you know, is get the airplane stopped, get it safe for others to be around. We don't want to, we want to try and get the engine shut down. I, I did read uh, and hear reports that one of the engines did not shut down on this plane likely as a result of damage, you know, cutting the uh, lines that would be used to cut the, the fuel to the engine. Uh, but, you know, we try to make the aircraft safe for an evacuation. And that's one of the big things the flight tents have to do. And in this case, the flight tents in the back had to make their own decisions because they're totally cut off. They're on the, the back end of this large wide body aircraft and the, you know, they're making these decisions on their own. That's what they're trained for. And it's yeah. very important that the training is, 
very strong. They're um, able to assess the situation, make their own decisions when they are cut off, and that seems to be what they did. They executed it well uh, under extremely challenging situations with dark, fire, smoke, all, all the things that you don't want to deal with were, were all present, plus the aircraft attitude, and they got everybody off. And, you know, it, it took a long time. They didn't have the nearly number of exits they were supposed to for certification standards, and then they were dealing with large amounts of uh, fire and um, a challenging situation to boot. So I mean, hats I- off to them and hold them all together. Yeah, I mean, I've I've got sort of so many things in this. As I say, I mean, you know, the the cabin crew. Um, it, it's a sort of like an ongoing joke. Well, not joke even, but like you know, you sort of, they they do so much like in flight service and all that kind of thing. But <clears throat> we sometimes you almost forget what a pivotal role they have in you getting out of that thing should something go wrong. It for me actually as a nervous flyer, this situation actually fills me with huge confidence because you think um the amount of exits available to them as a result of the fire was compromised and yet as long as you do what the crew tell you to do then you stand a good chance of of getting away from that as long as you follow their instructions and i I know carlos you mentioned it when you were reading the story one of the things that i take huge comfort from uh, and maybe it is because you know the majority of the the culture shall we say of the people who are on there is to to, you know sort of carry out instructions well Uh, nobody tried to save their luggage they literally just concentrated on saving themselves and that was you know and i do think that this should be used as an example of why it's so important that you listen to everything that your crew is saying. They're not just there to serve you tea and coffee. These people will literally save your ways, save your life, and also um, put themselves at risk to save your life. You mm. know, uh, that that's the thing because their their focus, if you like, is uh, and, and it's, it's the same for the captains and the first officers and everything. Their focus is to get everybody off off that plane first, and then they'll worry about themselves. Mm. And and that's that that's so. As as I say, as a nervous passenger, um, this is such a a weird crumb of comfort in an awful situation. If you see what I mean, and the fact that it just goes to show how important. The protocols are that are in place to to deal with incidents like this and it's so nice to see that the plan worked you know this plan that everybody's been surmising over for many many years and it absolutely worked and this crew smashed it out of the park one of the questions that, that i got asked this week actually john i'm glad you got you on the show one of the questions that someone i work with asked me this week was uh, and this is something you'll know perfectly because you you fly at night as well as day. But they asked how how easy is it to see other aircraft on uh, on the runway if you're coming into land at night? You've got all those lights from the runway. You've got taxi lights. You've got hold lights. You've got all those lights. How easy is, is it to see yourself as a pilot when you're coming in on final on finals if there is potentially another aircraft, um, you know, either lining up or, or on the runway? It can be extremely difficult to see another aircraft on the runway. Um, the aircraft with the tail light uh, instead of the wingtip lights are more uh, difficult, particularly because they that tail light is center line and it tends to just blend in. Mm. And unless they've got a really strong set of landing lights that's kind of lighting up the rest of the runway, that whole airframe will 
essentially blend in, especially where that, that aircraft, this Japanese Coast Guard aircraft, had maneuvered into the 1,000-foot down the runway. That's right in the field of touchdown zone lighting. So you have embedded lights on either side of the center line that are extending down 1,500 feet or so down the runway. And they were sitting in the middle of that. This is not a large aircraft. It's high aspect wings, so they're not going to be blocking a lot of those lights when you have a little small tail light in the back. I'm not uh, – I can't for life of me remember how the strobes are on that Dash 8, but I don't recall them being as a very strong light. And that would make it very, again, very difficult for them to see. And and this aircraft at, at the last bit in the round out, you know, they're going to be focusing. They're going to come from – basically inside the cockpit, looking at everything. And at that last 150, 200 feet, you're going to start looking out more and transitioning to looking down the runway to make your flare because we're flaring at a radar altimeter of like 30 to 50 feet, but the cockpit's almost, you know, 80 to 100 feet up in the air. So we're looking well past that aircraft. They never probably even saw it. So they just touched down. They're just starting to derotate what it looks like from the, uh, witness marks that were seen on the front of the aircraft on the in the pictures from the fire department where just a, just below that floor level there's witness marks where there's like a cut so these guys were not even derotated so they were probably looking all the way down the runway mm. well past mm. this uh this coast guard aircraft and and, and just and- you know for, for, forgive my naivety uh, here, John, and as I say, I appreciate you, you're getting all the questions here and, you know, you, you're having to guess as much as we are, I, I, I suppose. But uh, when you're coming into land, presumably the nose is slightly up as well. So anything that is potentially right underneath, because you're not landing on the nose wheel, are you, essentially? You're landing on, ideally on, no. on, on, the, on the rear wheels to... So, you know, again, if there is something immediately in your path, that I guess is another factor that that could easily be missed because you are, you know, you are the nose is elevated uh, in comparison to the rest of the the plane at that at that crucial moment. Yeah, absolutely. And a wide body aircraft, the deck angle is is fairly significant on touchdown, and that does blank out maybe five hundred, a thousand feet in front of you at that initial touchdown zone. Right, and and your vision is out to the end of the runway because if we if we look at the runway we that's called spotting and that's when you tend to you know get a carrier landing versus a passenger landing and so you're taught to look down the runway because your senses will then help you with your those last minute adjustments to make the touchdown uh, you know at a reasonable rate um, you know sometimes like when I've landed in very poor conditions and I wanted to drive myself onto the runway in a certain spot in a very solid landing i will forgo looking down the runway like i normally would and will intentionally kind of look at the the ground because i know that will essentially drive me into the runway more and make it a more spot hard landing Uh, but in certain cases that's what you want and and this aircraft you know those are normal normal relaxed uh flight form a short flight and they are coming in. They're trying to make a nice landing. Japanese uh, airlines are known for incredible service in all regards. That would just be part of it. And you know, you just miss this aircraft. Um, a colleague that I flew with uh, to steal a day flew the A380, so similar flight deck to this. And mm-hmm. he also mentioned that the uh, screens inside automatically switch 
when they get down to a set altitude, which he couldn't remember off the top of his head, to a, a runway um, exit plan. So right. it basically switches the screen to the runway, and it will give them a, a expected expectation for where they're going to be able to exit the uh, the aircraft based on their current state of energy. And I think that maybe they don't know if that has TCAS depiction on it or ADSB depiction on it, um, but maybe that also would cover up this uh tcas system and tcas for the aircraft were all inhibited i think if i remember the top of my head it's 800 feet agl it, it totally stops talking to us and right. won't give us any anything other than a visual depiction because it's decided you're essentially very small. busy at that point i guess that's that's yeah it's, you, you it's don't need a distraction to, essentially correct yeah yeah uh, we've got a question so, from the uh, chat room uh, uh john just quickly here um it's from Mike. He's saying, uh, light, uh, airplane, or light aircraft pilot here. Never heard the term uh, derotate before. Is that when a nose wheel settles onto the ground after the mains touch? It is. Uh, and we, we use the term derotate because we have so much aircraft to deal with that if we did not uh, let the aircraft down in a controlled manner, it's when you can uh, do some damage to the aircraft um, my airline had a unfortunate experience with the 767 where a first landing for a brand new pilot and he just didn't let it down properly didn't derotate the nose just came down and it folded the fuselage up oh wow yeah so if i so, just as a just as a sort of like i and i know it's, it's too early to tell but I mean, is is it clear who was at fault here at this stage? Um, you're asking the accident investigator to make a determination like that for, out out in public. Yeah, no, 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 um, not at all. No, uh, no, sorry. I, I would say that the indications are that um, the aircraft did not belong where it was. The Coast Guard aircraft did not belong there. Now, why that is the case, will hopefully be able to recover the information off the CVRs yeah. that they they can get that data and determine if there was a breakdown in CRM uh, miscommunication. They read back on the transcript that was released the correct readback, which was taxi to holding point Charlie 5. And that, that's the phrase they would use with us when they want us to go to a set position along the runway uh, the one of those smaller taxiways are generally a, a letter number mm. combination. And then that, that holding point is the hold short and we will hold short there. And why they chose and got out in the runway is the question. Yeah. Uh, the understanding is that they interviewed the captain from the coast guard aircraft and he was under the impression that they were clear to take off. Right. Wow. Okay. Wow. Okay. But um, there was the problem some, with that um, is to say is the, the, the the memory of a person who's been involved in a traumatic accident is going to be questionable. Yeah. They're going to want to be creating answers in their head. Yeah. Which is just, whether they're accurate or not. Yeah. yeah. You, you were, you were asking, uh, you were asking Nick. Sorry. Yeah. I was just going to say, there seemed to be some suggestion about some uh, phraseology that seems to be particular to Japan in terms of their uh, air traffic control um phraseology uh i believe that the coast guard aircraft was referred to as number one uh because i think I, from what i understand it's it's 
sometimes normal that when they are directing aircraft for takeoff, they will sort of allocate them as number one, two, three, four, etc. Um, and I think that that might have been a part of the issue with the um, instructions being misconstrued by the by the Coast Guard aircrew. I don't know if that's something that you've come across before with the being referred to by a number. Um, and I think what happened, uh, he, he was given a sequence is my, my impression from it, listening to it, reading it. And I've heard that before, not actually in Japan, but it would make sense to me because he was putting him to an intersection that was further down the runway while taxiing some of the larger wide body aircraft full length. And it would be advantageous for ATC and for the Coast Guard aircraft to have been launched first and allow them to get up and get out of the way rather than incur extended delays because of the wick turbulence uh, separation requirements from those wide body departures. And, you know, the Dash 8 doesn't need much runway. That The location of thousand feet down the runway was like a non-event for them, uh, given that's a stalled aircraft, and they could have gotten up turned off and been out of the way of everybody in short order and on their way. Um, so telling them number one, I think was just a signal to, for them. Okay. I need you ready to go. I'm going to put you out as soon as he, as soon as he could, yeah. which is probably what was going on in the controller's mind. You know, th th this is going to be a, you know, I, th these crews, my, 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 Condolences to everybody, yeah. and even when this captain survived. You know, Japanese culture is going to be very hard on him. Yeah, and uh, you know, he's, he's going to have a difficult life going forward carrying this yeah. on with him. And, and I think that even the controllers in that tower are going to be feeling significant trauma from this event for yeah, without question. years. Yeah, I mean, as I say, for 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 me, I guess one of the big takeaways from this whole thing is it could have it's still awful there's no two ways about it but so easily it could have been so so much worse what are our thoughts in terms of had this occurred for example in north america or europe um, and how might we have seen different behavior from the passengers honestly i think it would have been far far worse personally yep. yeah, yeah passengers would have yeah. yeah i think it would have been different story I think it this be. is what I'm wondering is whether or not that, that you know that there are lessons to be learned from this and yeah. and how how might those be implemented yeah. in in such a way that people will actually take notice of them and and you know I think the problem we'll always have with this is that people will always be people and uh we are all very individual and we're all very unique in every single way and that will always be the one variable that anybody who builds an aircraft and has to process information oh, yeah. like this uh will never be able to get right at the end of the day as i say it's uh, you know i i but uh, yes uh, we we could go on and on obviously we it's a do. fascinating yeah. subject in, but in, in many ways but we should probably move on but yes, moving on to the next story. Obviously, it's been a very busy uh, last kind of sort of 10 days in the aviation world. Nick, uh, you've got uh, the next story, and it's uh, obviously the story that's dominated the news, I think, for the last kind of six days, hasn't it? Yeah, so um, talking about the, the Alaska Airlines incident with the with the door plug. Um, so, yeah, I think I, I just sort of wanted to give a bit of an overview initially because my, my first question about this was 
you know, why is there this kind of door that isn't a door that was right next to a row of seats? Um, I blame so, Ryanair. Yes, well, <laughs> that, in actual fact, you're you're not too far off. No, the, really, off the mark there, Matt. Okay. Um, yeah, so essentially, they've got a an option on the airframe of having an emergency exit door. Um, however, it's down to the individual airline seating oh, configuration okay, as to whether yeah. or not they actually use it. So. Um, and in actual fact, Ryanair would be one of the airlines that would use it because they have a much higher have density, much higher density yeah. um, seat, seat, uh, seating plan. Yep. So, uh, yeah, so that kind of answers the question as to what this, um, in inverted commas, door plug is um, mm. and why it's there. Um, now, from what I also understand is that this is not something that's necessarily new to the max i know that you know when we say 737 max we all have to have a drink <laughs> and uh, <laughs> you know it's sort of uh, people get do get a bit twitchy with the max but yeah. they have actually been and using this won't these. help let's be honest <laughs> well no and uh, yeah it's not done boeing's share prices in many no. films this week let's no it has tanked that. i think they have tanked i think is the word we're looking for yeah yes. the, the line the line went yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. um so the so these door plugs have actually been used on on the seven three seven nine hundred ER variant. So this is um, this is something that they've used previously prior to the Max. Um, so essentially, what happens is that you have this option to have a um, a door aperture on the aircraft, uh, which you may or may not use. And in the event that you don't use it, you put the put the door plug in there. So currently, there are uh what five airlines that are using it so you've got aero mexico with 19 aircraft alaska with 65 copa with 29 turkish airlines with five and the largest operator is united with 79 um and i well i believe that the faa essentially grounded all of them pretty much the next day i think yeah the max nines and, and yeah. then i think those of them which are outside of uh the u.s sort of did so voluntarily with a view to um, an airworthiness directive to to do an inspection, um, and it subsequently turned out that uh, yeah, some of the United aircraft do have uh, loose door plugs. So um, oh wow, yeah, I don't know if we there's a we've actually got a um, an image. Matt, uh, yes, well, that, which gives a, a kind of a diagram as to how it fits. Yeah, uh, so we've got several pictures to to share. Um, we do have um, some ATC uh, audio to play as well. So we'll yeah, should we, should we play that? Yeah, out? let's go with that. Yeah, okay. let's go with that. All right. Yeah. So let's let's uh, have a. a sort have of you like... have you heard this yet, John? The ATC audio from this. No, I have not. Okay. Okay. All let's right. see what you think about this, John. Uh, yeah, we'll have to go down. I'm sorry, last aircraft, say again? Last aircraft, say again? It's done in Alaska. Uh, trouble to declare an emergency. We're descending down to 10,000. Let's see, Alaska, call AC, Roger. Descend to maintain 10,000. And when able, uh, give me the nature of the emergency and your intentions. Hey, Portland, Alaska, or Seattle, Alaska. 1282, we just We're declaring an emergency. We need to descend down to 10,000. We just depressurized. Decided to maintain 10,000, and we need to return back to Portland. Roger, 
yeah the end of the recording there um thanks um, to live atc they actually had that uh, on their website as well released um so good to see and vas aviation as well uh, had that on their youtube page with the um flight track as well on there so good to go and watch that if you've not already seen it uh john your thoughts on uh, on that uh, atc recording amazing job by that crew uh you'll hear in the beginning there that uh she's Definitely on oxygen. She's mm. probably on forced oxygen, almost sounded like, because the way the, uh, when she would start to take any little bit of air, it was a lot of oxygen being shoved into her face. You, yeah. you can hear it. And it's uh, very kind of hard, actually, to talk when you had that mask on. Uh, lots of confusion. Uh, my understanding is when this door came off, it was a, obviously, it's an explosive decompression, but the door to the cockpit banged open it's, it was apparently designed to do that nobody knew that uh so when mass confusion they were losing i think so i understood some of the checklist materials kind of exited the cockpit uh because so much airflow and for them to handle this situation in such a quick manner turn around get the aircraft back down was excellent she had really good communications immediately uh, providing the standard souls on board fuel on board what they had going on in terms of depressurization. I think uh, uh, I think the only thing they could have 
uh, she could have added for color would have been just saying explosive decompression, but it really didn't matter at that point. And uh, they handled it in a quick order. And thank goodness nobody was next to that seat because in that, that, that window go, or the door going out, if you've been in that seat, would have been a, probably some, some serious injuries. Uh, yeah. Just just from the the amount of air going through, probably would have been parts of your body being sucked out. Even if you didn't get sucked out yourself, you might have had some uh, serious physical injuries from from just the event. So uh, hats off to the entire crew on that uh, dealing with the situation, getting it back on the ground in such a calm manner. ATC was real quick in uh, handling the situation. I think, I think this is going to be really good. Uh, uh, from the review of the crew's actions, now that what's going to be question is what happened with uh, the rest of this stuff. So, yeah, one of the comments made on the um, NTSB because the NTSB, for those of you who may subscribe to their YouTube channel, they actually done uh, a report. Um, I think for the first three or four or three or four days after the initial incident, really good. They they were really thorough. Done a, a press conference all streamed on on youtube um one of the things they did say on on i think their last report they done was that the crew had a real issue with communicating with the flight deck uh, whether it was the intercom system that was down or what i don't know but they said that the crew had a, a real job communicating with the the flight deck crew a, a random sort of question really which may be linked to that um i mean i guess <clears throat> We've not really been in, in, in this sort of situation before, have we? This is a really odd situation. I mean, what must have the noise been like in in the cabin there? I mean I mean, will it will it have been just purely the whoosh of outside air noise and all that? Because I mean, you know, the aircraft is no longer pressurized, obviously, so that's gonna have an impact on 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 things um but will it have become really really noisy or will it have been strangely a bit sort of eerie almost i would say i mean the the, the door coming off would have been properly loud uh that that would have been resonant because of the pressure change the the way it came off nature you know it's instantaneous that much pressure on that door that would have been loud. Uh, the speed that they were at, I believe, was something like 270 knots. So they were still kind of accelerating in the climb out. That would have been a lot of airflow. Um, and, yeah, then I think for everybody, it probably would have been strangely silent. But that's also because of the nature of your body to uh, react to stress. It will shut off your auditory cues right. to some extent and, and dampen it. Um and I'm sure this crew, as soon as this happened, uh, I haven't seen the flight track, but I'm fairly sure that they slowed down in a hell of a hurry uh, right. down to probably 250 knots and uh, began their descent as they were putting on oxygen masks. It would have been wildly um, exciting up in the flight deck. Uh, you know, the, the cost of messages and then to have this door let loose uh, I mean, how, and the with, with cabin the... door opened up. With that in mind, John, I mean, what what would have I mean? So this this essentially was like a, a sort of like only required if needed door, if you see what I mean. So essentially, it was like an all-in-one sort of thing. But this was an area, as you say, because some of the variants um, with more seating, a different seating arrangement, different seating plan, you need that extra exit essentially. 
But would it have still had all of the sensors and everything? So, I mean, other than the crew telling them, would that how and and obviously, I, I guess the other warning is because obviously they'd be aware that the cabin immediately depressurized and stuff like that. But is that all that they'd be aware of at that point, or would they have known that that door was missing? Until you know, until they managed to get a message from the crew, does that? Do you, it's a strange question, I know, but you know, if the door isn't active, my, does my it have all the senses? And everything is. My suspicion from dealing with our aircraft, it's like this BCF I flew the other day, had doors. They're they're still sort of there. They've all been deactivated and bolted shut. Yeah. And we have zero synoptic capabilities with those doors. So I'm going to assume. I hate saying that, but yeah. uh, I'm going to assume that it probably is not depicted on there. But as soon as they start getting a pressure fluctuation, losing the cabin or something like that, then that likely would have set it off. I, again, I don't know if this these Max jets, if that plug is mm. has a, a, a PSEU, a proxy mm. sensor unit, and uh, if that would be reporting onto it. But as soon as that door came off, I mean, that's like an instantaneous you know, oh, I, 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 you like, don't need a sensor for that part. No, but, but no, I, I, I'm uh, not, I don't I'm, know they would have had any indication yeah, that, prior to that. And and that's really my question is it's it's that whole um, they will have a hundred percent know instantaneously that something had gone terribly wrong in the cabin. But would they have necessarily known what the problem was until they'd had an opportunity to to get a message from the crew? Because I mean, obviously, the crew would have known pretty instantaneously. It, what unless that was unless that was wired. That door was wired, and that plug was wired. They would not have known. No. They would have just known they deep de decompressed, and uh, would have been waiting for somebody to come up and say, "Hey, we have a we have a problem, big hole inside the plane." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, what's really interesting about this is that that aircraft had um, a number of instances prior to this flight where they had. Uh, pressurization warnings and really effectively yeah. three i think effectively those warnings had been kind of reset um and almost assumed to be a kind of a fault um when in so fact, it was, a it was kind it was of ignored yeah. um with the recommendation that the aircraft not be flown over water in case a pressurization issue did occur and they might need to return um so it was it wow. was to an extent known about, but kind of nobody really did anything about and, and it. That, because actually and that bit at this really point, shocked me. Yeah, that, well, they didn't really know the what the problem was, I guess. Well, and I we suppose... don't know if those are related, though, at this point. Mm. That's the thing no, that... No, that's true. The, that's true. That's true. And I guess the aircraft the... Was, was operating in, in, in accordance with a DDG, is the term we use with the Boeing's uh, item, and over and above that requirement from the DDG restrictions, they decided to not let it go operate ETOPS. So that was an additional item that, that uh, was done by Alaska and their safety program. But they're having cabin pressurization monitors lose their, uh, was switching back to the, to the alternate mode, to the alternate computer. And that's how it's supposed to operate. And you still have a manual after top of that. So was this a, fault of that uh you know nobody knows i mean if, if it was maybe compensating because there's some random leak going on at that door mm -hmm. but i would have expected that there would have been quite a bit of noise because even when we have a, a seal yeah. going wrong on a door i mean i i recall a, a particular flight where we had one a seal go bad on the servicing door on a, a crj 
and you know it's like it was like six eight feet behind us and we could hear it just screaming uh but uh, at the top of its lungs because it was all the air going out this little small tear yeah i would think that there's a, a leak in this door it would have been making a lot of noise and somebody had been reporting that as well but it doesn't seem like there was would 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 there have been uh, and again you know if if i was sat near that 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 you know the the fate one of the the non door if you see what I mean would I would I have necessarily or the cabin I mean I guess the cabin crew might have done but like if I heard a slightly strange no- noise and I'm on an aircraft that I don't really know I wouldn't necessarily know to identify it and or flag it I mean if you were there John you'd think that's a whistling door that's got something you know there's there's every chance that like Mister Joe Bloggs um, might might just think well what's that. Strange. Well, from a, from you the know, inside might, of the might... aircraft, you don't necessarily know that that door plug is there because all you mm. can see is the, you know, the kind of um, yeah. the 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 wall and the sort of the the internal uh, skin of the aircraft that you can see sat in your seat, mm. and then you can see a window, but you don't know what's behind that kind of. So I've, um, I I do feel terrible by the way because I feel like we're grilling poor John and he's just here trying to provide, <laughs> oh, provide okay. us with information. I'm so sorry. No, no but, like, like what Nick is saying there, Matt. You, you'd yeah. never know if you were sitting in, in that seat, that passenger seat. You'd not know there was a door there. It's, it's amazing no, no, how they no, do I it. Appreciate it's that, completely but, blended in. But I mean, uh, but also but from the, the noise, point of view the of... noise would be there. We would, yeah, you know, noise, so yeah. I get yes. where I get where John's coming from. Absolutely, but what I'm saying is, would me as Mr. Joe Block not a great flyer doesn't do a great deal you might well not... wonder what the noise is yeah but would but <laughs> yeah, would a, i dismiss it as a very would... very loud it's a very high-pitched squeal right. and i think that if there was a pressure leak you know somebody might have noticed it the, the flight crew would have noticed it yeah and if a flight crew is noticing and it's coming from behind a wall uh, area like that would be a little it, bit yeah. concerning and, and and most air crew you know flight tenants pilots and all that and certainly by sort of a aviation geek would probably notice that that row because the window spacing's off yeah on the uh, on that part and they would know there's there's Something that there is, yeah. door there or was the door there and uh, maybe say something but that 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 pressurization squeals are just a uh, it annoying. could I guess it's annoying it's, noise. I, I'm just saying it couldn't be confused. So, you know, somebody who doesn't know a great deal of things, you wouldn't just dismiss it as because uh, I've been, I've heard squeals and high pitched noises and stuff, and and what you know, but it's it's coming from the overhead. And the, the barking and dog on the A320. Well, yeah, but that's because it's been explained to me at great length what that is. <laughs> so I, I'm all right on that one. But you know, that, <laughs> I, I guess that's the thing is just like you know, if you've got an inexperienced crew or you've got an inex, you know, I I don't know. I I I. I you can know. see how this could have been missed by the by the the operators of the aircraft themselves yeah. because actually, unless you take an internal panel off the aircraft, you can't actually see the thing. So you, you know, you've got no way of knowing just by kind of glancing at it whether or not there's actually a problem um and from, uh, from what i can't it, understand it, expecting an expect, uh, acceptance uh program that you'd be accepting the aircraft before it has an interior you, you you're yeah expecting boeing to deliver an aircraft that meets all the airworthiness requirements mechanically and structurally and if they you know they'll be interested to see how this goes out with uh with this uh the My- the my worry structures engineer i know is on this from the ntsb is extremely good he's worked on my crash with uh, yeah. 
with the 767. He was the one that was the structures person for with the uh, Piper down in uh, Vero Beach, I think it was, or mm. was it a uh, uh, shoot? Emory Riddle, I think, crashed maybe Jacksonville, that, where the wing came off. Yeah. Who discovered that the bolts were wearing uh, the structure around it at a faster rate because of the the flight training? He was the one that developed that. And he's he's already say that there's fractures patterns or they're doing the testing now to look to see if there was witness marks from the structure of the door, see if those pins were in place uh, and the bolts and they'll be able to check that with an electron microscope and be able to see if there's any indication that those were there in place, if they failed in flight or if right. they were not there at all. And that's going to be the, that's the, the question. The key to this, I think. Mm. Uh, John, from, sorry to ask you another question from a, uh, <laughs> From a testing point of view, um, you know, clearly this is a um, the the whole incident is centered around the pressurization of the aircraft. Is that something that you're able to test on the ground? Uh, they to- can test pressurization on the ground. It usually is done for for certain uh, maintenance events. Uh, my understanding from listening uh, some other reporting on this is that when they assemble the aircraft. In uh, the Boeing facility, they'll actually do a pressurization check prior to putting it all out there after they put the, this door plug in and, and, and secured it all. But on uh, on the line, pressurization is not normally checked unless there's been something done to a door seal or uh, pressurization controllers. And then the maintenance guys will get on board and they'll pull some uh, breakers to basically manually allow them to control the pressurization and run it up and test seals, make sure it's working properly. Mm. I want nothing to do with that. I was on one plane being tested and that just was a, a painful experience. I bet. Yeah. I bet. So. Yeah. Well, again, uh, another story where we've thank John. Thank you. Oh, so, uh, D- uh, Lee Davis is Dirk S. Dirk S. I'd be upset if the drinks trolley went out the door before I got served. Very good point. Well made. Uh, <laughs> we should know. also highlight the fact that there was an iPhone, uh, an iPhone recovered no. uh, that had fallen sixteen thousand feet and still worked. So uh, yeah. Uh, to be as much do, as I love my uh, as I say, as much as I love my car, my my um my iPhone, Nick. Uh, no one is more surprised than me. That it didn't like smash into eighteen thousand million pieces because it's basically made of glass. So, uh, as much as I'd love to be able to be lampooning Carlos with this one, I think I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to foul. <laughs> my my thought on that story, Nick, was the fact that all the Android phone users on that flight were like, "No, I'm not letting my phone go. No, no, it's not going to door. But the iPhone users were like, "Oh God, I finally got a chance to get rid of this bloody phone," and they threw it out the door. But there we go. Yeah. There we go. That's my take on that. Uh, thing, See, but... the problem here, Carlos, is that for once I actually stuck up, stuck up for you, and <laughs> and, and you know, it's and now I know, and Matt. now it will never oh. happen again. Uh, th- uh, John, th- uh, as I say, I do feel bad because we have sort of really grilled you. This, unfortunately, as the the only person available to ask these questions to, I'm so sorry, but <laughs> thank you for your for your patience with. We are going to move on. We're going to have to move on. Well, yes, uh, we Carlos, are. Go, I know. Carlos, yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> 
Callister because it was an iPhone. Just saying. Uh, yeah, we're, we're going to move on. Unfortunately, we're going to have to sort of whittle. If we're going to get through the rest of the stories tonight, we'll need to sort of. We, we are. We're going to have to get, get through, through these. Through Matt, on, but, you've yeah. you've got a next story, and it's, honestly, it's all doom and gloom on this week's show. It is a bit. <laughs> yes, yeah. I, yeah. I know, but we're saving the stories up. This that's why because as I say, that's the only trouble with our little two week shutdown over Christmas. We have yeah. much to catch on catch up on. Anyway, uh, the headline is uh, is on CNN.com. Uh, is the website and the headline is man dies after crawling inside engine jet engine at salt lake city airport a police in utah are investigating the death of a man who crawled inside the engine of a delta airlines jet on the ground at salt lake city city international airport late monday the airport says the 30 year old man got into the secure ramp area of the airport through a terminal emergency exit ran to the south end of the airport's runway where de-icing operations were underway and crawled into an aircraft engine that was not running. Emergency responders found the man unconscious and were not able to revive him, the airport said. It is unclear at this time what injuries caused the man's death. The man had been identified as Kyla Effinger, the, uh, a resident of Park City, Utah, uh, according to the Salt Lake City, City Police Department. Effinger had a boarding pass for a flight to Denver, the department the, uh, department said. Delta Airlines says that flight 2348 and Airbus A220 about to depart for San Francisco then returned to the gate where all 95 passengers were deplaned. The flight was ultimately cancelled. Uh, police responded to the airport uh, around about 10pm after a store manager inside the airport called 911 to report a disturbance involving a passenger inside a terminal police said in a release. The details of the disturbance are still under investigation. The passenger Effinger had gone through one of the terminal's emergency exit doors and into the airport's outdoor ramp area, police said. During the search, a pilot reported seeing the man, uh, the release said, later minutes later uh, officers found a personal items of one on one of the runways including clothes and shoes about 10 minutes into the search dispatchers noti- notified police the man was at one of the airport's de- uh, plane de-icing pads where he went under a plane and assessed the engine um, police then asked air traffic controllers to tell the pilot to shut down the aircraft's engines oh so they were running at the time then by the sound of it uh, when when the officers arrived at the plane, they found Effinger unconscious and said partially inside one of the commercial jets plane's wing-mounted engines, which was still rotating, police said, uh, noting that the specific stage of engine operation remains under investigation. SLCPD officers and airport operations pulled the man from the engine's intake cowling secured the scene began life-saving efforts and requested emergency medical services the release uh, also said that those efforts included cpr and the administration of naloxone Effinger died on the scene, according to police. An autopsy will be carried, uh, will be conducted to determine his cause and manner of death. And medical investigators have uh, uh, may conduct a toxicology report. The department also. Hmm. 
Uh, airport police say that the incident did not impact other operations at the airport. Salt Lake City, City Police said that they the, said they are investigating the incident, as is the Federal Aviation Administration, National Transportation Safety Board, and Transportation Safety Security Administration. The National Transportation Safety Board said it is gathering information about the incident, but uh, indicated that local police are handling the investigation. Yeah, it seems like the last few months, well, last few months, but in the, in the end, towards the end of 2023, we covered a few stories, didn't we, where people had kind of got onto um, airfield areas, out of, you know, restricted areas and stuff. And like in the UK here, and I, I mean, Nick, will, you, you know this, Nick, as well as I do, but in the UK, and especially around Heathrow and Gatwick, you've only got a park near a perimeter fence on the double red lines. Yeah. And within about mm, less than five minutes, you're going to have a at least one or two police cars coming round to um, remove yeah. you. Yeah, uh, had exactly that happened to me at Heathrow. Actually, I, I was on my motorbike at Heathrow, pulled up near the um, opposite uh, the threshold. Thought I'd watch the planes there for a minute, and literally within about less than a minute, I would say two nice gentlemen with um, some rather large firearms ah. in their possession uh, asked me very <laughs> politely if I wouldn't mind moving on. Oh, very good. Right, okay. So, uh, yeah. Obviously one obliged, of course. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, welcome into the hosting group this evening, Armando. He's uh, managed to, to join us. He's managed to literally get off an aircraft, drive home and jump in the studio. Hello, Armando. Uh, and boy, are my arms tired. I can imagine yeah. something like that. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. how the joke goes, right? Yeah, I, I love logging on, and then it's immediately like a uh, who? This is your life. Like I see somebody that I've <laughs> that was that I've known <laughs> since I was fourteen years old. <laughs> oh yeah, who's talking all about you earlier? He Some was. Interesting yeah. Stories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, no, how's I, it going, cadet? <laughs> yeah, see, there you go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there. What did is. I call you, senior? I used to call you captain, Captain Jester. Um, <laughs> yes, I was uh, doing the, the commute back home, so I was indisposed for a little bit in an Uber and getting through Charlotte and all that stuff. So it's nice to nice to see your face, John. Hey, and everyone doing? else too. But he's got yeah, no, no, it's, sorry, we, we get it. It's fine. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Whatever. None of us offended. It's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. None taken. Uh, can, I, can I just can I can I just point out as as the guys who've been watching the show since we started at seven o'clock will know that uh, Armando literally I messaged John <laughs> literally about half an hour before the the show to say uh, any chance you could join us and John very kindly woke up at a ridiculous hour in the day because he's not yeah. in anywhere near yeah. Europe at all. So it's only four a.m. where oh. he is at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> where where are you? I'm sure we've covered this already. Hiroshima. Oh, well, all right. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Not yeah. like you, you just don't hear that word very often. No, no, no. Not no, correctly. No, actually, on... I was telling them I'm, I'm, I'm only a block away from the uh, the dome in uh, Peace Park. So yeah, I went over there yesterday. So that's nice. right up there with just Kilimanjaro. You just yeah. throw a word out. Kilimanjaro. Yeah, yeah Hiroshima. Yeah. It's also the very. It's yeah. one of the few times that that word is correctly pronounced on this show. Uh, <laughs> which yeah. Is nice. yeah. yeah. <laughs> Unless Armando's doing it, in which case it's fine. But like, if I'm doing it, it's just a whole load of syllables. Uh, (laughs) You know, poor John is always trying to put phonetic spellings in in most of these stories for us, anyway. So, oh yes, yeah, yeah. And I I still can't do it. That's the that's the soul destroying thing. I still can't do it. (laughs) Well, everything sounds good to us in a British 
British accent. So, oh, but good to see you, Armando. Good to see you. <laughs> Moving swiftly on because we are we we are running deadly oh, short. We'll have to here. cut stories. That's the only. We way. will have to cut some yeah. stories. It, this one is coming to us from BBC.co.uk. It's somewhere I was a few weeks ago, and it's all about Luton Airport. Dismantling of the Luton Airport's fire uh, hit car park has started. Uh, we covered a story last year. It was that huge fire that affected Luton, uh, London. Luton Airport here in the UK uh, of one of their car parks and the work has begun, uh, begun to dismantle the car park that was destroyed by the fire uh, Luton Airport said in November its Terminal 2 car park would be fully demolished after structural reports uh, found it unsound and if you'd seen it like I did the other week you would definitely know that that car park was not going to be reborn uh, anytime soon. Uh, the fire broke out on level three of the car park back in October last year. It was a thought to have started in a diesel car before it spread rapidly through the whole car park. Uh, work's expected to take up to 16 weeks to complete, an airport spokesman said, and he added that cars will be removed from different levels as part of the dismantling process. Following removal, salvage companies appointed by insurers would take the cars, he told the BBC, and Bedfordshire Fire and Rescue Service said previously that it was unlikely that any of the cars would be able to be used again. The airport said it provided the Motor Insurance Bureau, or the MIB, sounds like a film I've seen, uh, with the registration details of the 1,405 vehicles that were parked in that car park in November. Uh, and in November, Neil Thompson, the operations director at the airport, said it's reassuring to know that the vast majority of insurance claims have already been settled and that's amazing in itself because we all know what insurance companies uh, can be I yeah. have many many questions here the first one is uh, in the photos that are in the sh show notes here I can see a very nice BMW SUV being hoisted off there looks like there's absolutely nothing wrong with that at all there's no reason why that can't go back on the road so why I mean I get why you know because uh, the, the, the well another question is why is it taking them so long to start this process I think it was due to the, 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 the building itself. So many of the layers had collapsed and right. the structure itself, if not if you've seen the, the car park itself, but the structure itself is is predominantly like a steel framework with the okay. concrete in between and a lot of the steel had, had buckled in the heat. Right. The, okay. the heat was that bad. Well, maybe that's why they were right, right, writing off there, There's an interesting picture actually online when they released this story uh, back last year. I don't know if we had it on the show, but there was an interesting picture of the collapsed floors of this car park with the fire damage and then there was literally one car that was sitting in amongst a heap of burnt out cars that was pristine. Oh, it is bizarre how the car didn't get touched. <laughs> it really is. Indeed. Uh, now, obviously, I mean, you mentioned that you've seen it recently, of course, because you, you came back from there. But just out of curiosity, because obviously you were actually booked into that car park. So, I mean, what impact did that have? What impact is it having on the arrangements for parking at the airport? Yeah, I'm glad you asked. It, the Luton Airport at the moment is, um, obviously, it's a very busy airport, as I found out on the morning we flew, but the car park itself has had a hefty knock-on effect for people wishing to park there, because now they are using what used to be the old Midstay car park, which is literally just next to the airport. It's a big car park, but that car park was in the process of being completely redeveloped so all the tarmac the the surface have been ripped up but they're now having to use that car park to park cars on so now you are literally parking your vehicle on what essentially is gravel and bits of uh masonry and stones and <laughs> and it, and because obviously the infrastructure is not in place to to 
to, to usher you in the right area in the car park. They've now got cones. They've got uh, guys in high-vis jackets uh, showing you where to go. All the barriers are broken, don't work. Yeah. The AMP, the ANPR system doesn't work on the car park, so you can literally just drive in without even booking your car in to park. Mm. And it's chaos, Matt. It is absolute right. chaos. Okay. But yeah. I'm sure it's something they'll sort of sort out soon enough, I'm, I'm sure. Hopefully. But, uh, Hopefully. Yeah, so... Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's uh, well, it's 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 gonna be it's gonna be eighteen months before it's reopened, isn't it? Let's be honest. That's, yeah. that's the thing. Yeah. Bad news if you uh, if you're flying out of Luton Airport, especially when they've spent so much money on the refurbishment as well. I it's know, and I suggest yeah. honestly for anyone who's flying from Luton in over the next few months, I strongly advise if you are parking there, make sure you do get there with plenty of time to yeah. spare. Indeed, indeed. Yeah. Right, we'll we'll move on then. Nick, you got the next one all about, uh, well, slight yes, issues. Yes, well, as, as part of my, my remit of, uh, of preparing the show notes, I, I do seem to have slipped in a few stories which involve bodily functions. So oh, no. uh, I couldn't quite resist <laughs> this one. So this this happened just before Christmas, actually. Um, it uh, comes from theguardian.com. Um, a gourmet Christmas dinner for 2,600 workers at French aerospace group Airbus Atlantic left hundreds of staff sick. The health authorities have launched an investigation to establish what caused a mass outbreak of gastroenteritis among a reported 700 employees. Uh, the festive feast was organised and provided by the company's own restaurant. Um, and delicacies on the menu included foie gras, scallops and lobster. Um, all for just 15 euros a head. Uh, the affected workers showed clinical signs of vomiting and or diarrhea. You're welcome. Oh. After, <laughs> after the seasonal dinner on the 14th of December, most fell ill within 24 to 48 hours after the meal. Uh, health, of, health officials said they've not yet identified the cause of the mass poisoning and are looking into whether it was caused by a bacterium in the food or an extremely contagious gastroenteritis virus. Oh dear. Investigations are continuing, a spokesperson said. Um, and a questionnaire has been sent to all those present at the meal. Um, I can't imagine they're going yes. to get some Please very rate good your experience. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to leave it there, I think. But, yes, I uh, think. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It's like the worst insult ever for a French chef. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, did they just go into exile in Bali after this? I think so. Or something? I think so. Yeah, absolutely. They, cer they certainly have to tear French up their citizenship, region, I, think. I think. That's the thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Have to find another Please. nation to, to, to and this is why i'm very picky when it comes to uh, uh seafood anything seafood related i mean we've all seen the we've all seen the film airplane haven't we no have you no Carlos, you, you do a lot of weddings uh djing have you ever has this ever happened to you or do you just not partake in the fish uh, I, uh, to be to be totally honest with you armando i've I, whenever i do a wedding disco which is quite frequently over the last 10 years you do often, as a DJ, get offered the chance to go and help yourself to food. And nine, time, nine times out of ten, I will. But there are occasions when I know as a DJ, when I get there three hours or two hours before the event, that the food is already out. Ah. And it's not until three or four hours later that the food is then to be consumed. Uh, which is fine, depending on what the food is. In, yeah, yeah, it's fine, depending on what the food is. But So uh, you, I tend to steer clear of anything that is, uh. could be re remotely dangerous. 
Anyway, uh, yeah. well, <laughs> I love that we spent ten minutes coat. talking about food at the start, and now we're back to food. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I'm moving swiftly on. Matt, to rename yeah. Matt, the podcast. Yeah. Matt, uh, Matt, BA, uh, BA, Nev is not here, but we have got a BA story. We have indeed. Uh, Errortime.ero is the source for this one. The headline is BA cabin manager accidentally uh, accidentally deploys emergency slide during demonstration. Uh, a British Airways cabin manager accidentally deployed the emergency slide on a Boeing 787 Dreamliner aircraft while giving a demonstration to a colleague. The incident, which took place on the 4th of January this year, was first reported by Aviation News blog Paddle Your Own Canoe. <laughs> Still amuses me. And occurred after flight BA-139 touched down at uh, Mumbai Airport uh, just after an eight-hour flight from London Heathrow and the aircraft was taxiing to the gate. It's understood that the cabin manager gave an impromptu demonstration to a junior colleague uh, showing how to open the aircraft door during an emergency situation. In doing so, the emergency slide at the forward left-hand door was deployed. This latest incident marks uh, the fourth instance in less than a year that a British... And that's a very good point, isn't it? It's just the fourth incident uh, in less than a year that a British Airways cabin crew member has mistakenly triggered an emergency slide. Previous accidental slide deployments were primarily due to cabin crew failing to disarm the slide mechanism before opening the aircraft door. Uh, the first instance uh, occurred, or I, I won't go over all the other incidents because I have no doubt that we probably did indeed <laughs> cover them, but... Uh, Yes, uh, this is this is a bit of a, an awkward expensive one. mistake. Yeah, and indeed, indeed, and sort of really, uh, somebody who's just joined us could not have joined at a more optimum moment. Really, as I say, we're discussing a a BA story, and uh, guess who's here? Nev, guess what's happened? <laughs> I think my uh, I could hear my uh, my my name being used in vain, probably. But, uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, now I've got to say, in in their in the BA's defence, I mean these these things can happen, obviously, but uh, uh, all the aircraft I've been on, you know, there's is a very very uh, definite sort of challenge and response going on between the two uh, cabin crew members at, at door one L, which is obviously what they normally use to to board the aircraft, but accidents can happen you know mm. if someone's distracted or there's other stuff going on uh, I'd, I'd say in this situation there was someone trying to do a demo yes. but clearly that was not the right thing to do uh, but uh, yeah um and yeah it's uh, it's expensive and potentially dangerous as well uh, mm. to ground personnel well, yes, because somebody could, could, especially if they were in the process of, were they taxing? Or, I'm just trying to see what it said in the story here. Um, or were they stationary at the point of it being deployed? I believe they were taxiing, Matt, yes. Oh, dear. So could, there could have been anyone or anything around there. I mean, you'd like to think they weren't following that closely, that, that a slide being deployed would be nothing other than a little light amusement. Um, but, <laughs> but, yeah. Um so here's a question. We've probably covered it before, but uh, when you've had a slide deployed like this, can it be repacked and re uh, reapplied to the aircraft, or does it have to be taken away to be done? I, I, I assume it lives under the door in some form of sort of pack. It it has to be taken off the aircraft, deflated, inspected, repacked, and replaced back on the aircraft, which is a 
a pricey situation. I imagine so. Yeah. Um, so it's that's a huge mistake, and and the choice to do a demonstration after an eight-hour flight, and you've been up for <laughs> twelve or fourteen hours, and why are you doing it while you're taxiing? I, I'm yeah, questions. Well, and presumably, questions on why we did that. It wouldn't have been at that point. It wouldn't have been disarmed either. So it's clearly just a an, no. an error on the uh, on the. <laughs> can, you, new... can you imagine being up front, John? And you're taxiing after that long flight, and you're like, "What is going on back there?" Yeah. As you get all the lights yeah. and that, bells and whistles, be, yeah, fuming. You know, I think you'd be the word. stomping on the brakes, <laughs> and you're going, "What's happened? Yeah. You know, do I have a crazy person back there, yeah. or is there a fire back there? I don't know about." It. I mean, it, there'd yeah. just be so many questions, and and no, no, just turned out to the, be the first question crew. is, "Why did you choose to do that at that time?" Yeah, but I know. From my company's experience, uh, going out to meet an airplane, another BCF that uh, you know I don't like so much. One of the reasons is we have slides on the uh, <laughs> two slides on the upper deck, and pilots have to be trusted to disarm those slides, and that is never uh, never a wise choice. No. And uh, one of the flights came into where I was picking it up, and it'd been a long flight, and they disarmed it by deploying it. I mean, I mean it, it's effective. pilot was just like, I don't know why I grabbed it. Yeah. Uh, his brain's turned off, and it seems like that's well, what happened here. It's like well, good fati- intent, but... I mean, fatigue, is, is surely that's a factor here as well, isn't it? As you say, it's after an eight-hour oh, flight yeah. uh, and all this kind of thing. I mean, I, I think the poor guy just wasn't thinking, but, I mean, he certainly won't do it again. Yeah, and, and those doors are spring-loaded uh, to, to basically launch. There's not a lot of pressure required to actuate that handle and then once you start actuating the handle the door says oh you'd like me to open i will yeah. finish this for you G- give me a minute yes yeah i'll take over thank you yeah. <laughs> uh bill's asking nev did you know that people actually sat that far back on the plane no complete a uh, new concept for right. me <laughs> uh, bill um <laughs> I mean, I was in three alpha today. I didn't even know that seat existed. Wow. Okay. Where's that? Where's <laughs> three alpha? <laughs> I'd get the seat guru map out, see where it was. Right. I, uh, okay. I was thinking of Nev today because I got upgraded. I'm using air quotes up to five F, which is the last row in first class. And and I was like, just think, channeling my inner Nev, just thinking, oh my gosh, I can. I think I can smell the the cookies in the back. Like, oh my god. <laughs> What are they? Are they eating on paper plates and plastic? <laughs> oh Ugh. my god! Oh, Jeez. can you imagine? Yes, yeah, so you could. You could smell the smell the you know the the public. I mean, honestly, ugh. <laughs> <laughs> we are kidding. Every yes. I hope everybody knows that. <laughs> yes, never mind. <laughs> honestly, Nev, it was it was so calm before you joined us. Yeah, well, I wouldn't what? like to appear that I know it all. No, like no, 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 no. Perish the thought. Uh, so, okay. anyway, well, moving bringing, swiftly on. <laughs> I'm bringing the family over to the UK, obviously now, right? As we start kind of preparing for the 500th. Mm. And uh, it's a pretty massive difference for, for four people between business or first and, and coach. So I'll be uh, in the back. I'll be in 68Q on an uh, I beg your pardon? Triple, <laughs> triple seven. What's a Q? What's a Q? Is, is, is that a character right, from Star Trek? It's on the right side of the airplane. <laughs> I'm under a bit in, in the APU. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> in the least, lab. At least you'll be warm. That's the main thing. Well, we have belted labs and, and biz jets, so maybe ah, I'll lovely. just be in the, the yeah. belted lab in a 777. 
I'm I'm guessing then that, that that you couldn't just say, can I just can I just borrow the um, you know, the bizjet for I, I know, a few days, Carlos? That no, <laughs> sure. But that's not as soon as I win the North Carolina education lottery. L- okay, right. Okay. That'll be my fair enough. No. Yes. Moving on with the next story, Armando. Just as well you're here because the next story is very relevant for some a subject that you know very well. Yep, actually, um, John and I have talked about this. John was supposed to go he's to the Reno Air Races, too. So it's a Reno Air Race story. I'll kind of sum it up. The They put out a, a bid for new locations, so I don't need to go into the background of why Reno is no longer at Reno. Mm. We've talked about that enough on the show. But, uh, but the Reno Air Race Association, which I'm always kind of wondering if they're going to change their name now, so just the Air Race Association. Yeah. Um, so they actually received bids, and they are evaluating uh, some candidates, uh, lots of jokes and internet memes about roswell new mexico uh <laughs> yep that is actually a leading candidate oh uh, wow, pueblo okay. colorado casper wyoming buckeye arizona thermal california and wendover utah were sort of the finalists um and rara the reno air race association has pretty much i think they're narrowing it down and they have just sent out a statement saying that they're going to come to a public decision uh, or a decision that will be publicized in the spring uh, so, as you guys know, it's been going on since 1964. It's only mm-hmm. been canceled twice, 2001 after 9-11 and 2020 after the COVID pandemic. Yeah. So, the it seems as we hoped that Reno, man, again, we're just going to have to call it something else, that the air races will have a new national championship air race home uh, hopefully at what, one of these six locations. So it's a, it's $125 million investment by the city. Yeah. So brings in a lot of money. But it, I mean, it, it is, it's such an iconic event though, isn't it? I mean, surely it will still attract the same visitor numbers that they, that they were getting before. I mean, surely that that's gonna, you know, sort of, I help. hope so. But, but all of us that are involved in the, basically the staff from the senior level of the organization down, all are under a consensus that it needs to be revamped. It needs to right. be modernized somehow, okay. right? With technology, Red Bull Air Racing did a, a great job of of marketing themselves, of having the telemetry on board, having the onboard cameras, having you know a, a, a branding that they had. Uh, Reno really has not changed too much since 1964, which is one of the reasons why it uh, is undergoing this transformation. So, mm-hmm. as you can see behind me, I've put up new posters. Um, hopefully it will turn into something like this where, you know, back in the day we had the St. Louis air race, the Cleveland air race, the Chicago air race. Um, and that's, I think kind of what it's going to look like a little bit more is just, there's going to be these regional events, uh, culminating in a national championship air race at Roswell or something like that. So nice. Fingers nice. crossed. Yeah. I think, yeah. Fingers crossed indeed to, to not lose such an iconic event really, I think. And then, and then John, you and your dad will just have to meet me in, in Roswell or, Wendover, Utah, or something. For well, I'm, I'm voting for Buckeye because my folks bailed on Reno and they moved down to Phoenix. So Buckeye oh. be a lot closer. Well, Buckeye's right. <laughs> it's gonna be harder. It's gonna be very hard to replace Reno because of the the terrain that that airport had was just fantastic for that event in terms of being able to see the entire course clearly from the stands and coming up the straight and that. With the uh, the audio quality because of the altitude, just mm-hmm. it brings shivers to me right now thinking about it, uh, talking about it because I remember it. Uh, you know, back in the day when it was five, six P fifty ones come up straight at 
400 plus miles an hour and fantastic sound. So yeah, hopefully it's going to be, I, I can't, I can't imagine the world without having airplanes like this running around at ridiculous speeds, 50 feet off the ground is, you know, <laughs> needs to come back. Yeah, but well, it sounds like it will be back. Fingers crossed. Mm. Now, Matt, you've got the last story in the commercial news segment for this week, and it's a feel-good story, isn't it? Uh, yes. Sorry, uh, I was. In... Yes, indeed. Uh, it's uh, we're off to Somerset for this. Oh, brilliant! Hang on, sorry, minor technical glitch. There we go. Uh, we're off to Somerset for this one. It's because I haven't done it for two weeks. I'm on those years. I've forgotten how it all works. Uh, a Somerset amputee, former soldier, to become a pilot. Uh, this is on the BBC.co.uk website. Uh, Lewis Farrell from Wincanton in Somerset has been training with the commercial airline TUI with help from the charity Wings for Warriors. He's now achieved his commercial license and will undergo more training before starting flying on the 5th of March. It's been a whirlwind, said Mr Farrell, who was hospitalised uh, for almost four years due to his injury. Wings for Warriors train wounded... Um, uh, train wounded, injured or sick uh, sick ex-service personnel as per professional pilots. The charity introduced Mr Farrell to TUI after putting him through the initial training. It was uh, it has progressed from an offer to a contract that I signed two weeks ago, he told the BBC Radio Somers Somerset. I honestly did not think I, I could do it until I met Wings for Warriors. In 2013, he suffered a serious injury with his uh, when his leg became trapped while on active duty. The uh, uh, I was hoping to have a 22-year career in the army. The things that I wanted to do in the arm in in the military, which was to become a pilot, I honestly didn't think uh, was going to be possible going forward. Um, uh, I'm so sorry. Uh, I, the story has disappeared. I'm afraid, uh, but you get the gist there. As I say, really good. Uh, what what a great charity it is before now. I think I think uh, um, we sort of come across sort of something similar, isn't it? And I, I, I guess Armando, there's sort of sort of similar programs and stuff in the in the states, isn't there? In in, in terms of sort of uh, helping uh, ex uh, servicemen of all uh, kinds to sort of get back in, you know, get get a, a second career outside of the military, and and, and this is a, this is a great idea. Yeah, or even in the military, actually, the first uh, I think uh, Douglas Bader was the first amputee pilot back in the RAF, uh, nineteen thirty one. So it, there's actually a long history of these kinds of thing these kinds of things uh these people overcoming these physical um differences mm. uh there was a recently a zach anglin who did uh, the social media circuit um he's a quadruple amputee um and he's a commercial pilot wow. uh, i think over either in europe or africa i can't remember um so he is um doing it. and then we did a story uh a young lady in the um California, I think it was, that was flying an air coupe that was specially modified for her. Um, and I wish I remembered her name, but um, yeah, it's uh, there, there is precedent for this. And, yeah. and thankfully for the FAA, the, uh, there is precedent for this too. I mean, it's not an easy journey by any means. No, I bet. I bet. Um, this is, this is really interesting. John and I both flew a lot of cadets for the civil air patrols, a lot of young kids and we did not have any restrictions um, as far as physical abilities or disabilities, uh, as far as who would who we would put in the airplane, and right. um, okay. and we would put them in the in the right seat and let them do their uh, prescribed 
syllabus maneuvers. And it was really, really interesting to see, I guess the, I don't know how you would put it, John, but like the, the light come on where some of these kids with uh, neurodiversity issues or physical disabilities to be able to pilot an aircraft with, with us in the left seat kind of guiding them. But it was pretty, probably one of the best parts of the, the organization, right? Oh, absolutely. I, I, I was, a. Uh... That was my thing I, I like to do if that was to have the opportunity to fly the cadets because he had a chance to just crack him out of their shell and, and get him to open up and, uh, you know, usually not tell them they're going to be flying the airplane and just say, well, I'll do this for me, do that for me. Uh, I had a, I distinctly recall having a cadet who I, I took her, put her in the plane. I think I was actually an instructor in CAP at times. So I think I might even had her in the left seat. And I took her out to the runway, took off. I had her on the controls. I said, okay, well, you know, let's hold on to them. I'll just kind of keep an eye on it. And I'll just say, okay, do things in the way I'm saying it. Do it at the speed I'm saying it. We flew all around, did all kinds of stuff. I demonstrated stuff I needed to. Brought her back and had her on the controls. And all I did was help with the trim. And I just said, and then throttles, and I say, okay, I'll do this. And when I tell you to pull back, I want you to pull back at this cadence I say to pull back. And so she's doing it, and she landed the plane. I had my hand around the controls, but we actually did not physically touch the controls. First time in an airplane, literally, she had never, ever been in an airplane. She landed the airplane. Wow. And when I told her that, and it came out to her, I mean, she was just like, <sighs> overwhelmed head, i bet head exploded yeah. and i was like yeah you did that all on your own uh so it's a great great program and, and I, I don't, it's amazing to see something like this uh, given that opportunity and having the opportunity to progress and have it as a career potentially is is great i think that it's it, we've come such a long way with treating uh wounded and uh amputees and people like that that this opportunity is great and to see this kind of stuff and and we need people in, we need people in the cockpit so it's uh, it's great to have all all sorts yeah and what a great way um to publicize aviation and general aviation mm. i think matt you just put it up there richard adams in the chat room is talking about the the uk uh, display team yeah team phoenix and i think we've had them on the show mm. a couple of years ago um where they where they are a display team comprised entirely of uh of different versions of, of amputees. That so. was uh, heads up by Nick's chum, uh, Mike Wildman, if you... Mm, that's it. Well, and we yep. did a big interview with Mike, yeah. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, so there you go. So that uh, brings to an end the commercial news for this week. I've still got loads to get through on the show. Uh, we're going to quickly go through the caption this just for fun this week, the picture that we pop up on our social medias on a... Well, not on a Wednesday, but it's going to be earlier in the week uh, going forward now. But we did get a chance to put a picture up on the uh, socials this week, and we have had some comments on. Uh, Matt, you've uh, got the picture there uh, on the screen for those of you watching in the world of YouTube. Uh, Nev, what can you s describe this picture as uh, being of? Uh, looks like a very large platter of food to me. Uh, champagne, uh, beautiful uh, um, china um, plates and what have you. Um, yes, that's uh, that's enough to feed the 5,000. Uh, <laughs> or me, the, uh, at the yes, end of the day. Yes, there's two passengers <laughs> uh, looking extremely uh, peckish as well. I can't wait to Indeed. get stuck in. If only in-flight service looked like that, eh? Oh, my word. Can you imagine, <laughs> honestly? 
Right, so we've had uh, comments from, we're going to kick off with uh, the first one here from Michael, uh, Mr. Mr. Biff, who says it was becoming increasingly clear that Ryanair's new marketing manager wasn't going to last long. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what's Mark saying, Matt? Uh, I don't know, I'm afraid. No, uh, Nev, what's Mark saying? Uh, yeah, well, Mark says it's the starter uh, from the man uh, in 1A. He wonders if you would like it as he's a little full this morning. <laughs> I well, bet. I've been trying not to eat airline food today because uh, yeah, I'll, I'll tell you more about it later on. But uh, yeah, it's a good point, though, Mark. Yeah. Armando, do you want to take the next one? Uh, Dirk says, even all these delicacies couldn't distract his mind from the tormenting question he'd wrestle with all morning. Why is this woman sitting in my seat 1A? Good point, well laid. Yes, very true. Outrageous. Um, uh, Jason says, uh, wait, where's the panini? <laughs> oh, no. Yes. Uh, I, think, I, think, I think the photo comes from a time when paninis didn't exist. I'm yeah. just saying. No, you're probably uh, right. <laughs> yeah, uh, good point. Uh, Stephen says, woman with biggest hands in the world lands dream job. And you'll have to uh, look at the YouTube version of this show to see what that's about. That is Next. a good point. <laughs> well, what's he inside, Armando? Uh, I see a theme here. Breakfast for Neville. Oh, <laughs> yeah. uh, Mark says, uh, Roger's dentures barely survived the first course, but Marjorie <laughs> insisted that he continued eating. It's all inclusive, darling. Wow. <laughs> uh, David says, are there any vegan options? Right. Okay. <laughs> I'm sure there is. The the uh, the biscuits in the middle there look quite compliant. Armando, you want to take uh, the last one from Bill? Uh, continuing on with the theme, please thank Mr. Bounds for sending back all his leftovers to the rest of us in steerage. <laughs> <laughs> Well, quite. Oh, my word. <laughs> uh, dear, have we got anything in the chat room before we uh, move uh, on? We've got, uh, what's this one here from Lee? There we go, Lee Davies. Uh, he's come up with that little little. Good point. There. Where is the bacon and eggs? <laughs> oh, my word. A lovely one here from, uh, if you just refresh it, lovely one here from Richard. Uh, look at that one, Matt. Uh, if you don't finish your meal, you'll be moved to economy, Nev. Just bear that in mind. All oh, right? yeah. <laughs> oh, we've got a very nice one here from uh, a young Mr. Owen who uh, says... Never heard of him. Oh, What's uh, he saying? Oh, sorry. Uh, I was going to try and do it in the accent. I'm not going to. It'll be offensive. Uh, what are they doing serving the passengers from my crew food? <laughs> Rude food. <laughs> John Jest has been lying to us all these all this time. He, this is the food that he gets served is it? On, on the flight oh, deck. Yeah. God, I wish. <laughs> I actually, just coming out of uh, Liège the other day, we actually, this is one of the first times I've had decent food on the plane in a long, long time. <laughs> uh, it was uh, normally we get served pretty much what's an economy is thrown into a box with us and uh, and that's what we get and this time we actually had legitimate meals with metal cutlery which was like amazing wow. of late everybody's been giving us that bamboo stuff which is rubbish. just ridiculous to eat yeah. with yes <laughs> rubbish is the word right yes time to it move is. on swiftly oh, to okay. uh, oh, to God. the military segment of the show we've got a, we've got a rush through now we're going to get these through yes 
Well, we're not having a rush show. We've got, we've got 20 minutes. Um, actually, well, I thought we, we had a segment minutes. from, from Neville. Nev, did you want to read this, uh, read uh, this particular uh, part well, of the show? I'll talk about it a bit later on, perhaps. Okay, okay. fine, it's fair enough. Towards the end, yes. Right, right do so that. Let, let's handing rush over, Handing over things to uh, Armando. Armando, take it over. It's, take a, it's over. a good one, so I'll have to leave some extra time. Matt, hit the button. Let's go. Watch out, buggies, one, three, five, fifty, angel, All right, I think all of our pilot uh, uh, listeners will get a kick out of this one. Last week, uh, a B-1 bomber from the 28th Bomb Wing at Ellsworth Air Force Base crashed while attempting to land. Uh, the Air Force put out a statement that the aircraft was on a training mission when was, and was recovering back at its home airfield when this mishap actually happened. All four of the crew egressed the aircraft safely. There was actually some reports that they actually ejected out of the aircraft, um, which, of course, they have, you know, zero, zero uh ejection seats on that airplane so they can do it at a stop on the ground um at the time the weather was pretty bad visibility was one tenth of a mile overcast clouds at 100 feet with freezing fog so beautiful mm-hmm. flying conditions <laughs> um the next day i think there's some images that uh, matt is going to put up there but uh, the next day uh, we actually saw some images from a uh, webcam that is outside the airfield um this crash uh well that's not it matt um mm. That is my flying for the year. Oh, that is also my flying for the year. Uh, uh, Thanks for publicizing that. Okay. Huh? <laughs> um, the next day we saw some images af- uh, of the aftermath uh, that uh, showed basically there was nothing left of the airplane. Uh, somehow it had uh, skidded off the runway and ended up on the grass on the side of the runway and uh, looked like in typical B-1 fashion it had broken its back. So kind of right halfway on the backbone, it had separated, uh, definitely totally destroyed. Um, the B-1 fleet, as we've talked about on the um, show, is already being downsized. It's going from 62 airframes to 45 airframes. Um, so this is just actually just kind of helping the divestor process. <laughs> um, there are some restrictions that have been placed on the aircraft recently to extend the lives of the of the jets mostly because of the backbone issues um there's some wing issues too and some engine issues um, but either way the b21 that was just unveiled what two three months ago something like that supposed to be one of the replacements for this with ellsworth air force base where this happened being one of the first bases that's going to get the b21 raider so um, happy that the crew is all safe and we're just speeding along the retirement of the b1 bomber and no, Jonathan Warner, before you ask, you can't have any uh, plane tags from this B-1. Oh, you never know. What do you think they're going to do with all these B-1s? I'm just going to end up on sticks in museums. Huh? It wouldn't surprise me if those guys over at Plane Tags don't get, get one of these Armando and um, release, a, you know, a heap they're not, of tags. They're not exactly new. So, I mean, mm. geez, most of these are going on, what, 30, 40 years old, so... But either way, North Carolina is not exactly North Carolina. North Dakota, where this happened, is not exactly a, a charming place to fly in the winter. Um, and, and John, I'd say even with military gear and equipment, a tenth of a mile overcast at 100 with freezing fog is, I don't know what they were doing. Uh, that sounds pretty sporty to me uh, for 
tenth of a mile. I, I don't know that they have auto land. That would be an auto land for us in seven four for sure. I mean, that's that's some super low visibility. I mean, you're you're not going to see much when you touch down, if at all. And doesn't surprise me if they're off the side at all. It, one little yeah. flinch or or a visual acuity issues with that that low visibility. It's not great. And then freezing fog. That that does a number on your your uh, wings if they don't have the proper heat and engines are going to pick up a lot of ice. It's uh, well, just makes me shiver. Yeah, yeah, me as well. And I'm I'm you know I have no idea what equipment is in a B one, so I can't imagine that they just disregarded all the rules and tried to do it. But um, there you go. Um, another military story, kind of another reconnaissance story. Beale Air Force Base. Uh, the 9th Reconnaissance Wing and the 940th Air Refueling Wing uh, just executed an elephant walk, as we've seen on the show a couple times already. And uh, that is where a bunch of airplanes get together in a show of force, more or less. And the 9th Reconnaissance Wing uh, threw out their U-2 Dragon Ladies and some of their uh, gloss black T-38 trainers that they used to for, for efficiency and for following along doing some tail chases and some tankers. Um, pretty cool pictures that I, Matt is going to put up here. They are the correct ones. I verified. And um, yeah, so pretty neat when they do this, the U2 also getting divested. Uh, they're talking about 2025, starting to retire the U2 platform, uh, wrapping up somewhere around 2027. Um, as you guys know, the U2 is a venerable platform, long history career, and uh man well i look forward to seeing these at hopefully air shows and and uh sticks and museums a few of these are going to nasa i think they'd be flying that rb47 for a long time now but uh nasa's already got a i think a couple of two seat u2s right i see you yeah they, like one or two and they can call them er2s they, they've oper operated out of uh I know they've operated out of Wallops in Virginia, where by where my folks have a house, and uh, they've uh, probably be benefit of, of these. So they can put so many sensor packages on this aircraft. Yes, yeah. it can really help them out. Yeah, lots of lots of research can be done. I mean, <laughs> I'm sure that the U.S. Air Force said a bunch of research was was being done over Russia over the, in the 19th. Oh, it's just aerial sampling. I'm sure. Um, <laughs> Oh, these are incredible aircraft. I've, I've been witness to them in their operational environment, doing their black kind of things, and uh, watch one of those things roll out and blast off, and just this ridiculous deck angle just coming up, going up into the sky, and it just keeps going and going until it disappears. is uh, It's pretty impressive. So, and to think this is like a '50s airplane, it's just nuts. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, Benny agrees. Oh, Benny, Benny agrees. <laughs> Thanks, yeah. Benny. Appreciate the input. Uh, <laughs> it makes a change uh, of Alfie. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm bit, that, that's a that's a great cue to give uh, John military story number three because mm. he understands the importance of the enlisted force. Uh, story three. See the vintage, vintageaviationnews.com. The National Museum of the U.S. Air Force has completed the installation of a new exhibit highlighting the Department of the Air Force's enlisted personnel. The enlisted force exhibit in the, is the museum's newest permanent exhibit and honors the highly skilled, trained, and talented enlisted force that has been the backbone of daily operations for the U.S. Department of Air Force through its 76-year history. To mark the exhibit uh, opening, 
The museum hosted a private ceremony to honor exhibit contributors, museum staff, and volunteers, and other special guests, including Chief Master Sergeant of the Air Force, Joanne S. Bass, Chief Master Sergeant of the Space Force, John S. Wilbetton Venga, and former Chief Master Sergeant of the Air Force and Air Force Museum Foundation, Vice Chair Gerald R. Murray. Today, the enlisted airmen and guardians represent approximately 80% of the Department of Air Force and provide a solid foundation for air and space uh, operations in cyberspace. And enlisted, uh, Armando being a great example, uh, are absolutely what makes the military tick. And you cannot do a single thing without that enlisted corps being behind. Every every person that's out there in a, sitting in a fighter jet has got probably 100 uh, enlisted personnel that are doing all kinds of jobs that make the world move uh, for the military. I know when we roll on uh, doing a military contract, uh, you know, we have probably 20 enlisted personnel coming out, helping load our aircraft up with uh, the cargo that we're carrying for them. And, and it's, you know, one officer there, maybe doing some paperwork for them and, and checking some stuff out. They're the ones that make things happen. They're the ones that the officers oftentimes go to, to really get the, 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 the detail that they need to do their jobs properly. Uh, they're the ones doing a lot of the briefings. They're the ones that are maintaining the aircraft. So it's uh, they, they definitely need to be honored. And it's good to see that they're they're doing that in the uh, in the Air Force Museum. Yeah, and uh, and the, increasingly the enlisted force is professionalizing even more. And you know, education used to be kind of the 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 separator between the two the two, um, I guess careers between an enlisted and officer force, especially in the U.S. Air Force, there's more and more enlisted that have uh, bachelor's degrees and master's degrees, and it's just increasingly more and more technical. So the, the everything that John said is is exactly correct. Um, and I'm glad that they're getting the public uh, recognition. All right. So I did that super fast because I'm, I couldn't wait to get to Neb. So <laughs> sorry, John, I'll give you a special, uh, for Jonathan Warner, I'll give you a, a special military segment just uh, in your WhatsApp or something like that. Anyways, let's hand it over because I can't wait. <laughs> well, I'm not going to go into a lot of detail here, but uh, you know, on the uh, um, uh, Apple podcast, you know, reviews and so on, people put reviews uh, about what they think. And, and often we get a five star review, uh, but back in September, we only got a two star review. Um, mainly, uh, it's my fault, unfortunately, because oh. uh, the oh. <laughs> uh, author says, uh, Plain Talking UK, generally good, but spoiled somewhat by Nev's know it all attitude and general miserable nature. Oh. Um, well, I'm. <laughs> I'm sorry about those things. Um, and maybe it was a, a bad series of uh, Nev's terminal tantrums that we're playing out. I've had a particularly bad experience, perhaps. But uh, anyway, so I, you know, I, it is only a bit of fun, uh, and we do welcome all kinds of feedback. Mm. Uh, I will try to be more positive in future, and I shall act more humbly uh, because I do not know it all, not even slightly. I'm a, a mere passenger with about four hours experience on an A320 simulator and a 737 simulator. So. Oh, I, I haven't got to retire this, have I? <laughs> no. Oh, no. 
That's part of the show. No, yeah. there, there will, there will, it's bound to be an opportunity to use it. Thank goodness. Again. I was very concerned there for a minute. Sure, so, so don't worry about that. But, Indeed, you know, I, I will say not a lot, not, not, a, not a lot of the, you know, the general population can relate to flying in first class, but everyone that has ever flown an airplane can always relate to Nev's, uh, what, what do we call it? Tip? Travel tantrums? Yes, yeah, yeah. Terminal tantrums. Terminal tantrums, tantrums because we've all been through it. We've all been through exactly all of those things. Indeed. Absolutely. Having the the pleasure of doing that. Well, I was just uh, there and back to Edinburgh today, uh, which was all great, very nice, but we're off to Portland, Oregon Ooh. Friday for Ooh, a week exciting. Uh, for work. So we're going to, I'm going to the company's HQ with all my friends Lovely. and my work colleagues. Um, and uh, that's on a 787-8. Nice. Uh, looking forward to that very much. And a direct flight, which is good. Uh, because if we had to go through Seattle, then we'd have to connect using usually Alaska Airlines going up to Portland. Um, and maybe they're a bit short of aircraft. They uh, might well be, certainly. To do yeah. that sector at the moment. <laughs> so it's yeah, just, yeah. Well, okay. We've got a direct one. So yeah. I shan't be on the show uh, next Wednesday, obviously, because we're eight hours out of whack with the UK. So it's almost yeah. impossible to, to do a show even remotely. So uh, the show will be going I'm on. sorry, wait, eight hours? That's <laughs> yeah. it? Yeah, really. Yeah. Uh, Nev probably doesn't know uh, where you are in the world. Uh... <laughs> oh, I, I thought you were in the, the Netherlands, John. I no, no. Oh, Konnichiwa. Oh, well, that's <laughs> even worse. That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's well, just coming up uh, on 5 a.m., isn't it, now, I think, John? Something like uh... that. No, almost six. Oh, my, oh, my, well, my apologies. Yeah, you see, also, uh, John, you're, you're such a seasoned operator and traveler. I'm, true, I'm yeah. near amateur. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, London, London to Seattle is just a reposition flight for you, right, John? Yeah. Like pretty much, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That'd be a normal. That'd be a normal run, I guess. But, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. It's just wow. This yeah. is a short flight. Yeah. <laughs> It'd probably be yeah. about London, Seattle, probably. Be Ten hours, maybe yeah, the last nine hours yeah. for us. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Depends on how much uh, gas we want to apply to the situation. <laughs> Quite. <laughs> Quite. Several. I suppose it depends on how much sushi you've had the night before. Oh dear. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yes. Nev, Nev, it's time to give away a book, isn't it? It Nev? is, isn't it? Yes. Uh, and uh, this week's prize. Uh, is uh, a private airplane passenger safety by John O. Graybill. And um, I think we've got a picture of it. Yes, there it is. And that looks, uh, is that one of yours, Carlos? Is it's it? one of my collection that, uh, yes, we are giving away. It's very apt with this, the, the current stories that we've had on the show this I week. I bet Gemma's absolutely delighted that he's starting to get rid of all of his silly, silly air airplane books <laughs> yeah well you know that he's got to make more room for other aircraft parts yeah he hasn't told her that bit yet door yeah. plugs for example <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. And, yeah readily available apparently <laughs> things yeah. like that yes. now of course we've got a question to go with this so the question uh, for this week is well we all know that the Cessna 150 of course is one of the world's most popular training aircraft and what a lot of people start on but what year did the Cessna 150 first fly? What year did the Cessna 150 first fly? And I was amazed when I saw the answer to this, actually. So, uh, but uh, yes, yeah, so we'll be giving away that book uh, to whoever gives us the correct answer. We'll put them in the hat, as always, always do, next week, or the fellas will, because I shan't be here. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, so come up with the answer. And we'll draw the answers out of the hat and we'll keep up. I'll tell you what, let, let's go crazy. We'll run it as it's the start of the year and everything. We'll run it for two weeks. There you go. 
How about you that? Go. I've made an executive decision. There you Brilliant. go. My uh, word. Yeah, so you've got two weeks to get your answers in. So uh, those yeah. those who are listening uh, via the uh, podcast have an opportunity to be able to enter as well. All you have to do, send your email uh, with the correct answer, ideally, to... Uh, he's... Uh, you, you, you Actually, to be fair, we'll accept it on all channels. Uh, so if you like, you can uh, do it, obviously, via our WhatsApp number. Carlos will be able to collate those... The WhatsApp number is Nev. I'm glad you asked for that uh, question. It's uh, plus 44 757 And uh, the email address? Email address is podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. And then, of course, you can search all the socials because uh, we're on Facebook, X, and Instagram as well. X. Oh, look at you. So just search for Plain Talking UK. <laughs> Indeed, there we go. And we've cleverly done all the socials and everything all at the same time. There you go. <laughs> Very efficient. Uh, five, just five minutes to go, so just a quick round-up. Yeah, I've got to say a big thanks as well uh, before we wrap up tonight to Richard, uh, who's become uh, our latest Patreon donator to the show. So big thanks to Richard mm. uh, tonight. We we uh, obviously got the, uh, the 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 notification through. So thanks uh, to Richard for becoming our latest Patreon donator. Don't forget, if you want to become a patron of the show and uh, shape the way we do the things on the show each week and what we do. Uh, you know, if you've got a few spare spare pounds down the back of the sofa, as we'd say here in the UK, uh, you can find all the details on our website, all the W's dot dot com. So, quick round robin before we finish. Right, we're going to start with John. What are you up to next week? Oh, next next week? I don't, I don't know. It's hopefully going home. That's my plan. Uh, <laughs> I fly up to Narita tomorrow. And then uh, do a Narita to Cincinnati flight, and then I'm off for about ten days. So, and then I have to go training at the end of the month. So, that's my big plan for coming up. Excellent. Well, have have a have some great travels and take some great pictures as well, because we do love your pictures mm. that you send us and team as well, John. Love those pictures. Uh, Armando, what are you up to next week? Uh, I'll be in the biplane. Actually, the weather. We just had a, this crazy storm that came through the U.S. Um, so on the back side of that is some nice weather. So hopefully get out there. It's not too cold. Get in the biplane. And then I think next Wednesday I have been training a, a new owner into the PC-12. Just Ooh. bought one. So uh, hopefully that'll be done in the morning by the time that the show starts. Excellent. Mr. Bounds, what are you up to next week? Uh, well, I've already given it away, really, haven't I? So on uh, Friday of this week, I'm off to uh, Portland. Uh, our office is in uh, Beaverton, so just, just outside of Portland. So I'll be there until the following Friday. So I'm there for a week. Uh, we've got our global sales meeting where all my colleagues come together from all around the world. Uh, it's always a great, great laugh. Uh, I expect to put on a minimum of 10 kilos in weight. Uh, as my American friends are not shy with giving us lots of food and drink. So I'm looking forward to that in one respect, but trying to get rid of the weight. Also, before I've got another show to do in Barcelona uh, at the end of the month as well, another week's worth of uh, excess, possibly. So, wow. Yeah. It's small uh, problems, but there you are. That's how it is. And I'm looking forward to you coming back with some stories as well, Nev. Yes. Excellent. Nick, now I know you are our resident motorcyclist aficionado on the show. I'm guessing it's a bit chilly for you to be heading out on the old motorbike. Uh, 
here in the yeah, UK. Yeah, I've been, been out a little bit, but uh, yeah, not loving it at the moment. Uh, it's definitely not bikini weather down here in Devon. Uh, very much not. Um, no. <laughs> But uh, no, I'm I'm just going to be uh, making a very hearty and concerted effort to to make my way through the rest of the Christmas leftovers. Excellent, good news. And Matt, apart from visiting me at work, what are you up to next week? Um, I don't know. I've got I've got an unusually quiet weekend, which I'm very very excited about. Um, bit of radio to squeeze in here and there. Things are quite sort of busy. Uh, on that front at the moment uh, got some big plans uh, in our studios that uh, I've got to do some get some work doing got some tech bits and pieces to do we're going to be refurbishing uh, the uh, main studio one which you've never been in Carlos uh, <laughs> so we're going to got a new desk to go in there big uh, big refurb there but we have to do some work to studio two first before we can take studio one off air so uh, so yeah so that's that's going to be a fun project uh, to be involved in um, but yeah other than that bit of work and, Excellent. And, and everything else, yeah, yeah. And quickly, before we finish, don't forget, we, uh, PTUK, are going to be at the Drone Summit in Dublin at the RDS Arena on March the 1st and March the 2nd this year. It's just around the corner. Uh, we're going to be there doing some great stuff there as well. So that's something to look forward to, the Drone Summit there in, the, uh, in Dublin. So looking forward to that uh, with the team. Uh, Going to say a massive thanks to you, John. Absolute legend, John. Thank you ever so much for coming on the show tonight. You have been fantastic as always. No problem. And uh, I wanted to say uh, hi to my parents who are watching in Phoenix right now. Oh. So hello to them. And uh, yeah, no problem. I was glad, glad to be on. It's kind of fun to, to break up a day like this or a, a early morning as it is. <laughs> yes. Maybe, maybe a little more kip after this, perhaps. Oh, you're you're so good, John. Thank you so much again. Thank you for coming on, Armando. Thanks for joining us. Obviously, a last minute there, but thanks for coming on. We always appreciate you uh, managing to land and join us, ASAP. No problem. And I will also say hello to John's parents. Hello, <laughs> and uh, Nev as well. Thanks again for dropping in as well. Good to see you and have a safe trip uh, next week. We look forward to uh, having you back on uh, safely on the show in a few weeks time and uh, also nick as well thanks for all the work and that during the or doing the show notes and stuff for the show this week thank you to you as well and also john as well not forgetting our producer john uh, who does work in the background and uh, looks and gives us a poke every now and again doesn't he bless him indeed uh, we're, we're over time and uh, obviously thanks to matt as well for being no, in the no, studio no. No, 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 no. There we go. That's it. <laughs> Wrap it up. Wrap Our it up. Our first show <laughs> on the new time of uh, Wednesday, 7 p.m. That's it. It's all for this week. Which we'll see you next Friday. <laughs> and take care. Have a great weekend. And uh, last words, Nev, say goodbye. Yeah, take care. Have a good one. See you next time. Bye.